What's up, Finn Maniacs listeners? I hope y'all had a great weekend. I'm Hussam Patel today, and today we have my co-host today in in for Brandon Lagore. We have Tanner Elliott. Tanner, how are you doing today? Good, Hussam. How's it going, man? Thank you for having me on today. Of course, man. How was your weekend? How's everything been, dude? I know you've been working on a lot of scouting reports for defensive backs lately. Yeah, man, I, I I did a couple of them, and today hopefully we get to talk about some of the players that interest me most. Of course, and today we have Jeremiah Bogan on, and he does draft reports at Sports Illustrated and the NFL Draft Bible. Jeremiah, how are you doing today, my man? I'm good, man. Uh, it's good to finally be on here with you. I've been trying to get this going for a couple of weeks. I just thank you for having me. Of course, man, and I know you you play defensive back at Limestone University, and I guess you bring an interesting perspective as you are a player, and you do scouting at Sports Illustrated and NFL by Draft Bio, so let's get right into it. The number three corner on my board right now is Greg Newsom the second, and you can say his biggest concern is his availability. In three seasons with the Wildcats, he just played a total of 17 games in his career, but when he, he is on the field, He's dynamic, and he's one of the best lockdown corners in the Big Ten. Now, he went to his pro day, and he dazzled scouts and general managers. He landed a uh, relative athletic score, or Ross, of 966 out of 10 and ran a blazing 4.39 40-yard dash and 40 inches on his vertical jump and 10 feet and his broad jump. Now, on tape, he's got active feet. He has the ability to match receivers step-for-step step off the line of scrimmage, and he's efficient in mirroring wide receivers. Now, I got to ask you, does his ball production and the and his athletic ability translate to the tape you see? Uh, I'd say absolutely. The funny thing about Greg Newsom was uh, I studied a lot of these defensive backs. I like to believe that I'm usually on top of a lot of guys. I literally had no idea about him until after that Wisconsin game which prompted me to go back and watch his film. And I was sitting there watching his film from last year. It was his 2019 film that made me say, oh, this guy's a top 50 pick easily, probably even a first-round corner. Then you dive into what he did this year, you're like, yeah, this is a first-round player easily. And all those skills translate. I actually thought he tested better than what he even looked like on film sometimes. But the 4-3-9 does kind of make sense because I think what he's best at is he's one of those guys who has really good start and stop abilities because you'll see him get play the double moves and still be able to stay on top of that, which takes a lot of a lot to be able to slow your body down and still accelerate to keep back up on the deep routes. But he's he's an excellent player. I love Greg Newsom, one of my favorite players in the class, easily. So he can play zone and he can play man. And he can even pl- play press man, which is a big need in the NFL. Where do you see his fit specifically within the first round? I think his sweet spot will probably be about. I see him going – I would probably say about 22 to the Chargers – or not the Chargers, the Titans would be a sweet spot for him. I don't see him falling past that spot. I think a lot of teams could talk themselves into his testing and watching his film and say, wow, some teams might be bold enough to rank him ahead of a guy like a J.C. Horn or a Caleb Farley. So we could see him even get anywhere in that 15 range, possibly, just to kind of see how everything sets up. I know the Cardinals need a corner at 16 as well, so – that is true. And, you know, I think he fits very well with the Tennessee Titans and he aligns with their scheme as well. You know, Dory Jackson has left as one that opens up a spot. Malcolm Butler also left too, so that he could potentially start in his rookie season. Now, we got a report um, 
last week uh, from our Finn Maniacs podcaster and producer, Jason Sorney. Apparently, the Miami Dolphins are looking at Elijah Molden as a potential corner and safety within day two or day three. Tanner, can you give us a little bit of a scouting report on Elijah Molden? Well, Elijah is a very interesting player. Um, he does have, you know, family members that played in the NFL, so he does have that, you know, that ability, of course, just like Asante Samuel Jr. But he, he is a bit undersized. I think he measured in around 5'9", 5'10". But, I mean, that's not really that far off from the average slot corner in the NFL. So I wouldn't – some people think size is the issue, hit or miss. But his, his, his athleticism is a little underwhelming, but he puts up for it with, you know, his great – instincts and he, he loves to tackle I think that's something that like you said Brian Flores was talking about having him in and I think he wants someone that can tackle having the ability to tackle as a defensive back is very crucial nowadays so you don't have the yak yardage and you have uh, running backs coming up and um, running, backs, <laughs> running backs coming up you know outside sweeps and counters and everything like that so that's very I think so, too, because he's a willing tackler in the run game, and in the passing game, he excels as well. He makes those plays with rare-level instincts, which allows him to bait quarterbacks inside and make plays. Usually, when you bait, bait in cornerbacks, you're either a starting outside corner or maybe a high-level free safety. However, he's more so built in for a slot corner and that maybe free safety role, which he played with the Huskies. Now, ideally, he's built to play inside could he potentially play outside, Jeremiah? Uh, I don't think there's a doubt that he could play outside, give you some versatility and play a little bit out there. Obviously not be a starting outside player because Molden is one of those very unique players and that's going to be special to the type of football that is played in today's game. Uh, you obviously see in the past where, for example, a guy like Sean Wade, we saw him be a stud at the slot corner and safety and being moved around the defense. But when you try to pigeonhole him into the corner spot, it tanks his draft stock. And I feel like if you pigeonhole Elijah Molden, you're going to take away everything that makes him a top 50 player in this class. He's a guy that I consider one of, I call him a honey badger's disciple because I've, he just comes in that lineage of exactly what a guy like Tyron Matthew is. And that free safety slot corner role is going to be huge for him. He's got a lot of, he's got a lot of ability and just those natural instincts you can't teach. And a lot of guys don't have to be a star at the next level. You potentially see Brian Flores picking him up at either at number 36 or number 50. I want to believe they will, but you have to think about the money they're putting into Byron Jones and Xavier Howard and then taking Noah Igbenogene so high last year. Uh, I mean, do you want to take Molden and send a mixed signal to the guy you just drafted earlier last year in the first round? Or But Elijah Molden would fit so well with that team that's that's the thing like you have those two guys the outside you drop mold into the slot let them play a little safety as well I mean now that you speak of it I would love I would love to see that but I just don't know I just don't think it'll happen so there have been rumors about Xavier Howard looking for potentially an increase in his contract then you have Bobby McCain who's a great player who plays free safety he switched from nickel to free safety and he could be potentially a cap cut. So Elijah Molden, hearing about that, makes a ton of sense for the Miami Dolphins. Now what happens if they do draft him and within the offseason, that's going to be a storyline to follow. Now let's head on over to uh, Georgia itself. Uh, Tanner, 
you recently put out a scouting report on Eric Stokes. Tell me a little bit about him. So Eric Stokes is a, a very raw player, very, very raw, but he makes stuff more. He's with his athleticism. He's very athletic. I feel like he's not the best corner. He, he has a lot to learn, but he's so athletic. And just compared to everyone else in college, he can he can get beat. And the next thing you know, he's a pick six. I saw that plenty of times on film where he got beat or he plays off his man a little bit and tries to play a little bit of zone in there, mix it up a little bit and just goes and gets the pick. He's so athletic, and I think that works to his advantage more than anyone else in the draft because I feel like if he wasn't athletic as he was, we wouldn't even be talking about him right now. I think that's that's his most important trait as a player, him just being so athletic because he, he can get away with it. <laughs> he can get away with, you know, letting the guy inside because he can just jump the route. He is He's, he's long enough. He's very lengthy. That, that's something that not a lot of people talk about. He's very lengthy. He knows how to use his size. He's just, he, he has the potential to be a very, very good starting corner, boundary corner. In the so, Jeremiah, we, we're talking about Eric Stokes having these inconsistencies, inconsistencies as well. Now, I don't see him as a day one pick, but he potentially could be an early day two pick. How can he clean up and fix those inconsistencies? And what would be his best team fit? I think with Stokes, you have a lot of the problem where he's a guy who gets grabby in when he's in coverage on a man. I feel like when he's in press coverage, for a guy to be a guy running a four-two-five and a four-two or a four-two-eight that can't really get beat over the top, he's a little impatient in press coverage, and the receivers have a tendency to speed up his clock a little bit. And I think that's what makes him start getting grabby and start trying to hold on to guys. And I think he lacks. He's when you have guys that are that fast. Some guys who are that fast can't control their speed. And one of the things I noticed with him, too, is his balance. It can be off at times when he's trying to break down suddenly or come down, click and close. So balance would be another big thing in this game that I'm, I'm concerned with, especially with a guy who's that fast who doesn't have to speed up himself that much. Uh, best fit-wise, I'd say he's probably a guy who's going to be his own, who needs to be in his own scheme and play some off-man. Wouldn't really want him impressed too much because obviously that was one of those things that he showed that uh, it's iffy, it's inconsistent. Uh, when he's in press coverage. But the, my favorite thing about Eric Stokes that I do like is he's a guy who's very, very good when it comes to situational football. When you talk about third downs, understanding the sticks, see how his tempo plays in the red zone, I think there's a very good place for him and as a zone corner because he shows he has really good football IQ and he could be a very smart player. So those are my best fits for him. So would he primarily be a cover three or a cover two corner in the NFL? I wouldn't say he's quite a cover three guy. I wouldn't say cover two as much either, but you just want him to be in a scheme where they mix it up a lot. A scheme that's not really just, okay, let's just play man coverage all game. Just be somewhere that they allow him to be a little versatile, play off man, maybe give you a couple reps and press. Not too many, obviously, but uh, he's still, he's the guy that's really interested in me because I really like, I just really like what he brings to the table as far as football IQ. And then, one of the big things that he needed to improve on this year was ball skills, and he showed that. He showed that he could take the lot of improvements in his game, and I, like you said, I could easily see him being an early day two prospect. Now, on the other side of the field, his teammate Tyson Campbell, he posted times of 4.38 and 4.39 in the 40-yard dash. We already know he's got blazing speed, but he's so far has more unrealized athletic potential than he is as a polished product at cornerback. Now he has that athleticism. Even with all those tools, why hasn't Campbell been a playmaker 
so far, Jeremiah? The most difficult thing when you take a guy like Tyson Campbell, who was a five-star athlete coming out of high school, number two corner in his class, right behind his high school teammate in Pat Sertan Jr., which is insane. Uh, you have a kid who comes in, he has all this hype, but at the end of the day, he's just raw. He's just a really, really good athlete, sick, pack, put in a 6-2 package, but no one really taught him how to play corner yet. And then when you get to the college level and you're still trying to learn those things, and he's struggling. I think he struggled with a few injuries early in his career too, so you don't really get the repetitions that you need. Uh, he's just he's just a, such a raw prospect, but everything that he has, you can't really teach as far as size and athleticism. He actually didn't test as well as I thought he would. I thought he would be the 4-2 guy because he was a blazer on the track coming out of high school. He's just got a lot to work on as far as his eyes, and you could tell he's just not really comfortable at the position yet, and it shows in his game. Do you think he might have been a better fit at safety to learn all of those skills, or would he? it was the best decision for him to stay at outside corner? I think outside corner was definitely his best spot because all those traits translate to that spot. I don't really know how well he would fit at safety when you're talking about a guy who already struggles with his eyes. You don't really want him to be your last line of defense back there. Uh, and doesn't show a lot of savvy for playing the position. So I think corner is definitely where he needs to stick and stay. And, it's, and there's a lot, there's a chance for him to go into a place where he can get coached up really well. Hopefully go to the dates. It's, for him, it's all about situation, all about situation. He goes to a place with a good coaching staff. He's probably going to end up being a, a perennial pro bowler type, type guy, one of the top five corners in the future of this draft. Well, that's great to hear since now that a couple of teams are listening in and really, really delving into his tape. As we go to Kentucky, Tanner, you know, Kelvin Joseph has great ball skills, and this is his best trait as a, as a corner, and he has a great knack for finding it to football. What are his issues that, you know, he's not a first-round cornerback draft pick, and what can you clean up on? Well, there is definitely some talk about him, you know, being a first-round pick. I know there's been a lot of hype here and there of him being one of the – some people think he's the best corner of the draft, which, you know, it is what it is. But I've, I've seen him anywhere from being, you know, it's, it's just like most players in this draft, anywhere from a first-round pick to fourth-round pick. Um, I think he's more of a third-round pick guy, maybe late second, because he's tall. I think he's around – he measured in around six-foot-one-ish, around there. But um, the, and he has the wingspan and everything like that too. He just I've seen plays where he just gets mossed by receivers who are obviously shorter than him on a fade route. He's just a liability, just in the in the end zone. And I think that's just knowing how to use his size. And that's you know the the moment he starts to figure out how how to use his size, I think he's definitely going to be you know a better player. And his uh, tackling, he's he's very willing to run up and try to tackle people in the run game. And it was very hard to scout this guy because a lot of his strengths went to his weaknesses like the run game he's very willing to to attack the ball carrier but he, he can't tackle so what's the whole point of you're just a liability in that sense it doesn't make sense to me um I mean it's great that he that he wants to be involved in the run game but he can't tackle so it's, I mean the name of the game is bringing the guy down you can't do that but you're I mean you're there so at least you have that if, if the moment he starts to you know get some tackling in his belt using how to you know use his size like you said he has great ball skills but he can't use his size. So you have a receiver, it's a jump ball. He knows how to do the jump ball, but if he doesn't know how to use his size to counteract with the receiver size, then there's really no point in using his size or having good balls. 
Jeremiah, I, I believe you might have some thoughts on Joseph and his size. How can he improve using his size to be a better cornerback? Uh, when it comes to size of the position, uh, a lot of people rave about length in the draft community. But what you realize is it's not really so much about length sometimes. It's just being putting yourself in the right positions. And I think a lot of his problem goes back to this, one, this last year was his first year really getting to play. So his inexperience does show on tape. And like uh, Tyler said, I see him as a third-round guy, but he has a lot of potential because of that one-year football he played. His best football really could be ahead of him. Now the question is, you get to the next level, uh, it's kind of hard to try and learn the quarterback position at the next at the NFL level, and that be your learning. Just for him, you got to get better with your eyes. He gets beat on double moves. I feel like he's susceptible to getting to separation in the short intermediate area of the field because I don't think he has the twitch in those areas of the field. Obviously, he's good uh, covering guys down the field, but when you watch like the Florida game, for example, I mean, Kyle Pitts is just turning him around, giving him the business, and it's like, oh, man, that's not a first-round corner. <laughs> Kyle Pitts is an absolute unicorn and an absolute freak, and you know I read – something today from Eric Crocker and he's super super renowned in the NFL and draft community and he said he's more so suited to play tight end than as a wide receiver I I watched him uh go up against I think it was the Kentucky game but he went up against Jamin Davis the linebacker I believe and he absolutely Jamin Davis was step for step with Kyle Pitts and that's literally like that's crazy okay that's crazy and as you said Calvin Joseph was on him too but Kyle Pitts was blowing by now in the NFL as polished as NFL cornerbacks are would it be a little bit difficult for Kyle Pitts than what it was for him playing at Florida yeah I think so because a lot of the guys, I mean, but even then, you see him play against Pat Sertan. He's given Pat Sertan some pretty good releases off the line. And I, Kyle Pitts, you have to keep him at tight end because, we once again, we go back to the whole thing of when you try to pigeon, not necessarily pigeonhole a guy, but you try, try to take him out of where he is and what makes him so special. He's special because he's a tight end. But he's a, he's a, at the tight end position, but he plays it like a wide receiver. And that's where those mismatches are going to come from. So as we move on from the SEC, we're going straight back to the Big Ten. We're going to Minnesota. Row the boat, baby. Row the boat. Uh, we take a look at this corner, Benjamin St. Just, and his skill set and, as you said, length are very, very attractive to press man-heavy defenses and deep third coverages. He has all of the length and the skills needed to contest at the catch point. I believe he's 6'3". I believe he is 6'3". And he uses his body well, Tanner, so he's got that locked down already. Uh, he's able to stay on the hip of the receivers, and he's got ample disruption. His quickness and long speed are not the best qualities, but he does need to work on his route recognition and route combination if he's going to develop into a viable starting quarter cornerback at the pro level. Now, people say he can be a hybrid cornerback and linebacker, and he's only played one full season at Minnesota, and he's had injury concerns throughout his career. Seeing his game tape, what is he like, Jeremiah? St. Juice was another guy that I was late in the process on, but once I caught wind of him, I loved him. I easily saw a top 75 guy in this class. The crazy thing about him, at 6'3", you look to see, okay, does he have enough quickness for his size? But with, with him, he has 
some of the best short area quickness in this class to me when you watch him drive down. He basically eliminates everything in this quick game. He eliminates slants. He eliminates hitches. Just watching him drive down, which is insane for a guy who's 6'3", because you're not talking about him having really, really, really good agility for his size. You're talking about in general, overall, at, for this class. And at 6'3", that is a lot of things you can develop right there. Uh, definitely going to be a guy if you want to play off. Still want to see him get better in press coverage, especially since he's a guy who doesn't have top-end long speed. Uh, he would have to be a very good technician at the line of scrimmage to be a, a very good press man corner. Now, could he also play the Sam linebacker role in the NFL? That's a tough one. Because you see him play you see him play a little safety at the senior bowl, which was definitely intriguing. But I don't think you want to put him there. Uh, you want to keep him on the outside, keep him in the back seven, uh, or keep him in the back four at safety or corner. Because I think that's where his versatility extends to. Maybe you could use him as a sub-package linebacker, on third downs, you want to put him in the middle of the field. I mean, that's up, that's up to the team's discretion. But I wouldn't necessarily make that move. Tanner, as we go down to Baton Rouge, talk about Kerry Vincent Jr. and his fit if he's potentially picked by Miami. So this was definitely uh, one of the most intriguing prospects, I think, in the in the draft. Played, he played a lot. He played safety and corner in college. I think he just most recently moved over to corner. I know he wasn't full-time this past season. He actually opted out in 2020, due, like, a, like a lot of the big-name LSU products, such as Jamar Chase. But he, he played well in his games. Um, he was very versatile, like I said, safety and corner. He's a, he's a willing tackler. He has great ball skills. I just think that, you know... If if he can improve off corner, I definitely think that he has the potential to be one of the one of the you know like a, a Pro Bowl corner in the NFL. He's he's good, he's very good. But I think that some teams may be willing to move him back to safety just because that's where he's most comfortable at. As it seems like right now, just due to you know him being gone for you know twenty twenty, I think some teams may be a little bit weary on that. But I definitely think that his biggest part of his game is you know his raw and his technique, just because he's only had that one. I would say not even a full season at corner, just because he was playing safety there too. But I think if he goes to a team with a good coaching staff, he's more than willing to, you know, switch to corner full time and have a great fit anywhere. As long as they have a good coaching staff, I think a team like the Dolphins will, you know, make his versatility used the most. He'll be used in slot corner. He can play outside corner. He can play both safety positions. He can be used as, you know, a hybrid linebacker covering tight ends. He can do it all. I was very impressed with this film. I think he's one of the, you know, I think he should be drafted early second round, really, just based on talent and potential alone. He may sneak in there first round, depending if a team says we don't have a second round pick or we have a late second round pick. Let's go trade up for him now just so we don't get beat up by a team like the Dolphins maybe at 36. That's interesting, interesting, interesting to know as he could also play safety as well. Now, as we move over from Baton Rouge, we go to Stanford in the Pac-12 one of the more underrated corners in this draft and he could potentially be a value pickup is Paulson Adebo. And I believe he can be an NFL starter. He plays the position with great athleticism. His hips are super fluid and he's agile in coverage. He's a loose athlete and his hips are very, very flexible as he's able to run up and down the field. He demonstrates great agility in coverage and he's able to separate at the top of other wide receivers routes as well. 
He's got great instincts and he's got the mental acuity and he's got great football IQ to thrive in zone coverage situa situations. He's also got great ball skills and he can locate and track the football as well. Jeremiah, what is his best fit and what team could use him on the outside? Paulson Adebo is the prototypical Seattle Seahawks corner, uh, cover three guy. Even the Raiders run, have run the same scheme as well. Uh, that's that's him right there. That's his fit. We're talking about a guy with excellent ball skills, really good length. The problem with him is you talked about a couple years ago, he's a stud. And then he deals with some injuries last year. Then he opts out this year. And he just wasn't the same player last year. And you could tell he was playing hurt. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what kind of athlete he is uh, at this stage of his career after a year off, uh, just training. Maybe he comes back as a better athlete because he was a guy who I wasn't super crazy about his movement skills, but as a bigger guy, he, he can move. And that, that gives you a lot to work with, especially when he does have those elite ball skills and can roll with some guys down the field. So he's your prototypical cover three corner can be him being in that scheme alone is what can make him a very, very high caliber cornerback at the next level. Now, what are some of the stuff that you have seen on tape that he needs to work on? Uh, he's not much of a press corner guy, which is okay if you're projecting him to that cover three scheme. So with me and that part of his evaluation, I actually took that out the window. Uh, for me, I just want to see his movement skills get a little better. Uh, the lateral plane, I'm not crazy about him in the intermediate area of the field. I think guys are able to separate for him from him at the top of the route. Some people like his uh, ability to move. Some people don't. I think that he's one of those prospects who's interesting because like you said, you love his movement skills, but I'm not a fan of him. But I think it's, it depends on how you look at it. Some people are looking at his movement skills as far as, oh, he moves really well for a 6'3 guy. Or, but me, I'm just looking, okay, movement skills in general. How, how are they? What are they like? But I, I just want to see him play healthy. And hopefully he's going to be the player that we saw two years ago because that was a very good player. You know, it's interesting to see this discussion between you, Tanner, and I, because as we're discussing these cornerbacks, we have different opinions amongst each other. And this is the same type of discussions teams have in their draft rooms as to see what kind of player will fit their specific scheme. And it's league-wide as well. So this is practically normal for people to have different opinions. Now, we see it all the time on Twitter, okay? People are bashing each other's opinions. Talk, talk a little bit about that, uh, Tanner and Jeremiah. Tanner, you go first. It, it, I guess it all just depends on what you, you value as a scout. Um, some people could value, you know, Eric Stokes' athleticism, and some might say, oh, but, you know, he gets beat, his technique isn't the best, all this other fun stuff. So it all depends what you value personally as an evaluator. I think that's what it really, really comes down to. There's a bunch of other factors that come into it. Like you guys just said, the movement depends how you see it, if you're seeing off movement off height or seeing movement off weight or anything like that. But I think it all comes down to what do you value more as a scout? For a quarterback, do you value more about – accuracy or do you value more about playmaking ability or your arm strength josh allen a couple years ago look at that people said oh he's not accurate or oh he's coming from wyoming <laughs> like we always say judge the judge judge the player not the helmet but i think it's a lot more than that as well like um trey lance was saying people are saying he's not he didn't start enough games but he started enough game more uh same amount of games as mac jones actually not a lot of people know that so it just comes down to what do you want in a prospect the, the scheme fit comes into a little bit, I think. But if you go see a good player, like let's just say you're the Chiefs 
and Kyle Pitts doesn't fit your offense because you have Travis Kelsey. If Kyle Pitts is there, he's the best player available. Why, why won't you draft him? Because you find ways to make good players fit your scheme. You don't, you know what I mean? It's it's hard to find a good player. And it's it, it, if you find a player that fits everything you need as an evaluator, everything that you look for, and they're, you know, A-plus across the board, you have to take them. Uh, going with what Tanner said, like, uh, everybody's going to have different opinions, and that's absolutely okay. I'm one of the people that I don't really get into arguments or anything on draft Twitter because my purpose on draft Twitter is I'm here to learn how other people see the game at the end of the day. Like, that's what's most important to me is because I'm still learning stuff about football, and I want to learn. I don't want to sit here and just tell you my opinion, why I think this, why I think that. I want to know how you see it and what lens you see it through. And maybe – because at the end of the day, like you said, NFL front offices, this is how their draft room conversations work because at the end of the day, we're all trying to come to one truth on a player. And it's a little harder when you're in draft Twitter and you're not drafting for a team because it's easier to have these conversations when you know what scheme you're running and everything of that nature. But I just – don't really agree with bashing people because of their rankings. Everybody sees the game differently. And if somebody sees the game differently, maybe try and DM them and ask them, ask them a question, not blast them on Twitter just to make them look bad. You hear that draft Twitter, Jeremiah Bogan is on your behind. You better listen to him. Okay. So <laughs> let's, let's dig into some draft questions. Tanner, where do you see Patrick Sertain and JC Horn going? I definitely see one of them going top top ten just because the Cowboys own that tenth pick, and I think that's where that's where the first corner is going to go. Now it's a bit interesting to see where some corners are going to go after that. I definitely think I'm not sure which one's going to go. I know I see some Cowboys fans, Cowboys fans wanting certain, and then other ones wanting Horn. I'm not going to you know just say my opinion <laughs> just not to get blasted like you guys did draft Twitter, but I definitely think the Cowboys will start the the cornerback run, you know, at pick 10. Now we have, it all depends. Do we have Caleb Farley going in the first round? If so, I think there, I think there could be a really big run on corners in the later round and early second round. So I don't think Horn gets past 20. I think a team does trade up to go get Horn. I'm not sure which team, but I think a team does, does go get Horn, trades up for him because there's, there, I, there's a lot of depth here, but there's only a couple top guys that, you know, can, you can plug in day one and they could be an instant, an instant, you know, start. With the NFL valuing press corners, Jeremiah, how can college college teams change their schemes from zone to man? Uh, the hardest thing when it comes to that is, you know, college coaches, they're in the business of, they're in the business of winning. They're not necessarily in the business of trying to develop a player for the draft. Obviously they love to make their school look better, but you it's just one of those things that if you have a good coach at your program who's big on teaching you all the techniques of the game, that's a big thing. But a lot of guys, the most important thing they do is what they do outside of the program, who they're training with in the summer when they go home for a couple of weeks at a time, uh, what they're doing on their own just to get better at those little things. It's not really one of those things that colleges can change as much because colleges love the match quarters type deal that's being run at this day and age and being more of zone teams because you don't have as many, you don't have the horses to be playing man-to-man -man with guys in a game that's predicated towards offense. Tanner, career-wise, do you think Asante Samuel Jr. will be better than his dad? As this is a very interesting question because I know, you know, Asante Samuel, he's definitely known as a ball hawk. 
you know, I think that's what everyone knows him as a, a, one of the best ball hawks in the history of the league, really. He was always getting a pick somewhere, always getting a pick six. Um, I think Asante Samuel Jr. has the potential to be a better overall corner, but I don't think he's a better chance of being a better ball hawk, if that makes sense. I definitely think teams are going to compare the two. You know, oh, well, Asante Samuel Jr. had this many picks in his career, and Asante Samuel Sr. had this many picks. Um, there's a lot more factors and stats that go into it for a corner. But I definitely think that I think that's how they're going to be compared in that sense. No, but I think in the sense of being a better player overall, I think he has the potential to be. Very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. You don't really see a lot of kids being better than their fathers. But however, if that does happen, that's certainly, certainly something to watch out for. Now, Jeremiah, which unknown corner or maybe defensive back or safety can be the steal of this draft class? And if so, why? Uh, I actually have two guys in mind. Uh, one is a guy who we actually had on the sheet but didn't get around to. But Elijah Griffin from USC is a guy who I really, really liked his tape. He's one of those guys. Uh, the way I normally scout, too, is I go back to the uh, recruiting rankings of the class that's about to be up and just see where those guys are at. Uh, we're talking about Elijah Griffin was a five-star pretty unanimously on all – all three sites or big major sites. Um, very, very good athlete, but he didn't test as well as you, as you would like, which is the crazy part. Uh, he's physical as heck for a guy who's about a buck 60, <laughs> soaking wet, but he's very willing. Uh, he's probably one of the best, some of the best press technique I've watched on tape. Extremely square at the line of scrimmage, use his length to stab guys. And I just think he has that dog mentality in him that's going to make him a really good player at the next level because I think he's going to get a lot better coaching at the next level than he did get at Southern Cal. Then my second guy would actually be Nick McLeod from Notre Dame. He's a guy that I was big on before his pro day. Uh, I think he's a cover. He could be a cover three guy. He does a lot of really good things as far as gives you the press bell techniques that are very good. He does little things like when he press bells, he keeps his shoulder down and matches the tempo of the receiver. Uh, he dropped a lot of picks <laughs> this year, but he was around the ball, which, which makes you feel a lot better about him. Uh, he had some questions about his long speed on tape. But he comes out and runs a 4-3. Uh, everybody's running 4-3 this, this year. But if if all fails, that still translates to a mid-4-4 a mid four, four for him, which is a really good time when you look at him probably thinking he's a 4-5 guy. So he's one of those guys, those two guys that I'm really excited about. You know, there are a lot of Pac-12 corners in recent memory for me personally that I have over SEC, ACC, and Big Big Ten corners as well, which is surprising in my sense because this is my first year scouting players overall. I mean, Griffin is absolutely amazing. He, he plays with the mean competitive streak for a guy who's only buck six, right? He uses his length to get a great stab at the line of scrimmage. He's just like, whoa. Okay, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> okay, all right. He's ball hungry and he's competitive at the catch point as well. He's got great awareness in zone and he understands route combinations as well. Now he has injuries, injury issues before, but, you know, you monitor that throughout the process. You evaluate through your team doctors along with the pro days as well. So Jeremiah, Tanner, thank you so much for being on here. Jeremiah, before you go, let the Finn Maniacs listeners know where they can find you at. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BlessBogan5 and then uh, just look out for some of my work. I do a lot. Right now, we're more in the process at Draft Bible working on scouting reports. Right now, getting in, starting to dive into some of the 2022 class and that's just where you can find me, Bless Spoken 5 on Twitter. Tanner, where can, where can the Finn Maniacs listeners and writers find you at? 
Well, uh, as you said, I write for Finmaniacs. My my Twitter is Elliot302TJ. I really don't tweet much. I mean, it is what it is, man. I always keep telling myself I got to start tweeting more, get more engagement in, man. But it just is what it is. I just don't – I just haven't gotten around to it. It just seems so simple because, you know, I'm always on the app and everything. I just don't get to it. I got to start, but I'll make sure I get to it. Well, Tanner has absolutely been crushing it scouting defensive backs and corners specifically and routinely they're coming out this week as well so make sure you guys go ahead and check out his work as always Finn Maniacs listeners thank you for listening and Finn's up everybody oh.